Welcome to Bits of Gold, episode 121. Today's episode is all about shifting how you think and living happy. Welcome back to another episode of the Bits of Gold podcast. If you are new to the Bits of Gold podcast, first off, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Second, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. More subscribers help attract more amazing guests to help better serve you with amazing content on how to live with purpose. Before we dive in, a quick message from our sponsor. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Now let's get to it. Did you know that the average employee spends nearly two and a half hours a day in drama, gossiping, withholding, resisting change, and stepping down from accountability? Drama is emotional waste. Drama holds you back. When things are not going your way, you can choose to live in that drama, you can choose suffering, or you can choose to tell yourself a different story, the true story, a completely different narrative, and you can choose to thrive. On today's episode, that is exactly what we will be discussing, how to shift how you think and how to choose to live a life of happiness. Today, my guest is Cy Wakeman. Cy is a drama researcher global thought leader, and New York Times bestselling author who is recognized for cultivating a counterintuitive, reality-based approach to leadership. Backed by over 25 years of unparalleled experience, Wakeman's philosophy offers a new lens through which employees and executives alike can shift their attention inward, sharpen their focus on personal accountability, and uncover their natural state of innovation simply by ditching the drama. And now let's welcome Cy to the show. Okay, Sai, welcome to the Bits of Gold podcast. So excited to have you on today. Thank you. I was so grateful for the invitation. Yeah. So I've read your books. I'm really excited to share a bit of your story today, a bit of your perspective. But before we jump into it, drama researcher, I know that is in your bio. It's on your LinkedIn. You could just start by one, introducing yourself and maybe just sharing a little bit about what it is to be a drama researcher. Sure. As you know, if you're listening and you've gotten this far in the podcast, I'm Sai Wakeman. I research how much drama there is in the workplace, how much time and energy gets diverted from productivity in the form of results and happiness. So I think anything we do, if we're in the moment and involved in well-being, we have joy in doing it. And hopefully we're getting great outcomes by collaborating and co-creating with other people, like if we're really in the zone. So drama is energy that gets diverted away from that process takes us out of the present moment, takes us out of gratitude, and um, really is emotional waste. And if we have waste, we tend to want to eliminate that waste through a good process. And I came from a counseling background. And so to me, it was just very clear that if we have emotional waste or drama, we could eliminate it through good mental processes. And there's been just centuries of writing and spiritual teachings and smart philosophers that have told us what good mental processes look like. And I started to just study that the average person 
spends two and a half hours in drama a day. And it's two and a half hours living in misery rather than joy. It's our choice. And so I really wanted that to be my impact in the workplace. So two and a half hours is the average amount of time that we spend in drama. And I'm not talking drama king and queen. 816 hours a year per headcount. We're working hard, but we're doing it with a grudge. Like, let's say you have a last minute request. I will get that for you. But I'm not doing it joyfully. I'm like, and I shouldn't have to. And you should have asked earlier. And so it's working hard, but working hard with a grudge. And I was able to quantify how much time people spend in drama and like even what the root causes of drama are. And over 30% is ego behavior, is us believing our own thinking and not questioning our thoughts so that we can be intentional and conscious and operating at our highest self. It's us operating at times at our lowest self. What was it for you that fascinated or drew you to like diving really deep into focusing your time, energy into drama? I think many of us that dedicate our life to something, it was our way to transmute some of the pain or suffering we went through into a gift for the world. And that really was my case. I haven't thought about it this way, but since I'm on your podcast, and that's really an awesome mission you have. I grew up in a, a family that loved each other and was incredibly chaotic. And a lot of people suffered and had a lot of drama. And I remember as a little tiny girl thinking, it just doesn't have to be this hard, people. Just like be nice to each other or your thinking's not quite right. Like that's not what happened. What happened, you added a lot to that. And that's the reason you suffer. And I think it was in my middle school years, I was introduced to Rumi kind of in a really weird, random way. And I remember reading his um, poem about out beyond the ideas of right doing and wrong doing, there is a field, I'll meet you there. Out beyond like all this judgment, there's like a better place. And I remember feeling that like wholeheartedly. So I think growing up as a pretty sensitive kid, really sad about how many missed opportunities there were for people just to turn towards each other and, and love each other. I was really called up to this concept that suffering is really optional, folks. And I just want to wake the world up to that. And therefore, when I started life as a counselor and I had to do my graduate work and I need the topic to discuss, I just found myself helping people understand that most of the pain and suffering they had was kind of self-imposed. And if they would edit their story, um, it could be really different. Like they could change everything without changing anything just by questioning their thinking. And that's really what kind of gave me my start in that. Mm, so interesting. It sounds like, you know, a lot of what you're saying is it's the story we tell ourselves. Something happens and then we tell ourselves some narrative about that thing. And then that's what impacts us and create, you know, we create the drama in, in our own self. Is that sound about right? Definitely. When we're seeing the world through the lens of ego, we see the facts and we add the story and our suffering comes from the story. So let's say I'm driving down the road and all that happens, if I stick with the facts, is there is a person who appeared to be male driving a pickup next to me and he moved into my lane, leaving me less room than I prefer. Like, let's say that's all that happened. I add the story that he's a male chauvinist pig and he thinks he owns the road and he doesn't care about anybody. He's trying to kill me. And that's the problem with America today that, you know, everybody just is taking care of themselves. and. Well, with the first accurate assessment of the events, I'm fine and I make good choices. If somebody leaves me less room than I prefer, I slow down 
and welcome them in. When I'm making up the story that this guy's trying to kill me, I make horrible choices. I'm like game on, speed up. Like, (laughs) you Mm. know, let's make this thing dangerous. And it just became very clear to me that my suffering was so optional that it came from my story and that there were two ways to commute to work, one with joy, one with misery. And that I was adding a lot more pain on than need be. And so that became really a focus for me as to what thought crossed my mind with inquiry to, you know, use Byron Katie's work to just make sure that I wasn't believing everything I thought. And that if I was believing my thinking and it was painful, I questioned the thought and not just automatically believed it. And this isn't like positive thinking or spiritual bypassing or toxic positivity. It is really just getting more disciplined about greeting a thought with, is it true? So interesting to hear you talk about that. So how does one ditch the drama? How do you, instead of two and a half hours a day spending that in drama, how do you go to one hour or 30 minutes or 20 minutes or zero? The ultimate (laughs) drama deflector. And I hope we all get to zero. I haven't gotten there yet. I have this thing called the human (laughs) condition, but I'm still working on it. The ultimate drama diffuser is really self-reflection is asking yourself, can I possibly know that to be true? It's really stop believing everything you think and greet a thought. You probably can't stop thinking, but greet thoughts with inquiry to, you know, just question your thinking. And it's self-reflection and contemplation that really loosens the ego's grip on your view of the world. You're less of a victim. People are less of a villain. There's just a lot less um, drama. So the first thing is question your thinking and and self-reflection. The second thing I would say in really ditching the drama, besides this editing your story, is be open to disconnecting things you've connected that hurt. I just was with a healthcare group a few months back now, and they said, you don't understand. We didn't have the equipment we needed at the start of COVID. So obviously, leadership doesn't care about us. And when I try to problem solve, I'm like, what's the best way forward to get you what you need? They're like, well, since leadership doesn't care, we have no way forward. No matter what we request, they won't give us what we need. It's that real victim-minded thinking, but it's based on the truth. And I said, well, let's back up. What if the two things you connected were like ego connected? They're like ego glue. What if leadership did care about you and you didn't have what you needed? Wouldn't that be a better place to start problem solving? We didn't Mm -hmm. have what we needed. But I'm not going to make that mean that leadership doesn't care. What if both could be true at the same time? Mental flexibility, expanding your thinking where multiple things can be true at the same time. And they're like, well, we would just work with leadership to get what we needed. I'm like, gosh, that sounds like a better world. And so what the ego does is it really paints us in a corner and we believe our thinking. We actually believe that not having the equipment we need is proof that leadership doesn't care. We instantly can have a better world, instantly by questioning our thinking. We instantly can have a lot more options by questioning our thinking and loosening that ego's grip on our view of the world. How does one evolve or update the way they they see the world, they view things? That could be very challenging. I think especially, I would say maybe even with age, you know, you become more set in the way you view the world sometimes and the way you see things, the way you perceive the world to be. I think a practice of witnessing your thinking and not believing your thinking is important. I have been a meditator twice a day for a long time. I think really 
expanding your mind. Like I love reading poetry. I do a lot of reflection. I try and approach the world with curiosity and compassion and just look all around me for what nature is teaching me, what other people are teaching me. But I have found three questions that changed my life that I walk with a lot. And when I'm suffering, it means I'm not walking with these questions that keep the ego's grip loose on my version of the world. The first question, if I'm feeling stress or pain or suffering, I ask myself, what do I know for sure? And I try and edit the story from what all the things I've added to it to just like, what do I know for sure? And then the next question, if I get down to what do I know for sure, reality is never as harsh as my story. I am always, I have found in my own life, provided for on some level. The helpers are there, the invisible, invisible help. And then I can get down to kind of who I am as a person. The next question is like, what can I do to help? And sometimes that is just provide blessing and silence and not advice. And sometimes that's like, if I think you should be less judgmental, I'll go first and I'll stop mm. judging you. And then the third question that helps me a lot is, given the situation, regardless of how we got here, regardless of who might think who's to blame, if I were great right now, what would great look like? If I were moving through the world, my most skillful and most loving self, what would that look like? Like asking myself, like, how will I love today? Those three questions have been really life-changing for me because self-reflection gets us out of ego and ego is all about judging, but you can't vent and self-reflect at the same time. So if you want to get out of your low self, use self-reflection to get into your more high self. And so being conscious and intentional is looking at your suffering. So like pain's inevitable. A couple of years ago, I said um, goodbye to my dearest, dearest friend as she um, passed from this world to whatever's next. And that was painful. I really prefer a world with her in it. Like I miss her. I could tear up mm. right now. Like I, as her godson, my son's getting married. I'm like, I want you here. So pain's real. But the story I can add to that is like, we got ripped off. I'm like, is that mm. true? Is that really true? We got ripped off. I had 40 years of my dearest friend, Kathy. Like, who gets that? And I'm not trying to spiritually bypass, but I don't know that I got ripped off. I don't know if that's true. She should be here. Well, how would I know that? Am I in charge of the universe? Like, do I make the rules now? My suffering comes from thoughts like she should be here and we got ripped off and she died too soon. And I'm like, how would I know that she, I think she probably died on time. She died when she died. How do I know she died on time? Because that's when she died. So given that, what can I do to help? And I can, instead of focusing on what I don't have, focus on what I do have and go through some cards that she had written my son and make an art piece for him of those cards that she is present. And then what would great look like? Great would be teaching my son the value of profound friendship in one's life and to value that above everything else. So mm. those questions just unhook me from suffering, get me back on my feet to right size kind of what's pain and what's self-induced suffering. And then points me to how to transcend this and know that the only outcome from painful situations isn't post-traumatic stress. It can be post-traumatic growth that we're transformed by the experience. And so I'm just out there working to allow myself to be evolved by the world 
rather than just instead of trying to impact the world, I want myself also to be open to being grown by the world and my experiences and be a better person for it. Yeah, that's awesome. And I totally hear what you're saying, like the importance of the narrative you tell yourself when something bad happens, because bad things can and do and will always happen, right? So the narrative you tell yourself around that thing is critical because that can either break you or build you. It really can. And it can help you incorporate and consolidate the beautiful power that comes from your experiences, or it can weaken you as you give away kind of that spiritual power. What I mean by that is when I'm focusing on how I got ripped off, I'm in a weaker position where I'm coming out wounded. And if I focus on how I was gifted, and um, now I contain not only my learning, but the learning she gave me, I'm such more of a, a force in the world to help others. I'm so much more compassionate, and I'm more patient and more listening. And life's messy, but we can live really happy and content. And we have to master some things to do that. And the two things we have to master is we have to get out of duality and transcend it. We cannot boil this life down into, are you on my side or on their side? Like The reason that we are feeling empty is we have boiled life down to like a one-dimensional instead of three-dimensional. So how can I transcend that where multiple things can be true? And secondly, how can I get good at impermanence? Welcome what's coming and let go of what's leaving. And do that with all the pain and all the grieving and honor all of it. Like live in 3D, in the mass, with all the feelings and not doing it perfectly, not passing the test, but doing it with willingness to, to evolve. Yeah, absolutely. You just mentioned, obviously, your, your belief around life's messy, live happy. And I know that that's your, your most recent book. What would you say from the book? is like the single biggest takeaway that you would want someone to know who's going to tune in to hear this episode. You know, what's interesting is I was asked during COVID, like people love your message. The number one thing they say is this helps me at home as much as it does at work. So what book would you write to tell people how to live personally? Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. And my answer was no book. I have nothing to tell you how to live. I can tell you how I've lived. And that's what I did. I wrote the book in chapters that are kind of unrelated to each other because it's really choose your own adventure. So I don't know which message would help the masses. I do know I have lots of messages in there where you can pick what you need right now. 
One of the messages that's important to me is the message of words and the message I get from words. So I have this weird thing I like to do where I like to walk with a word and words like find me. The word enough found me and just wouldn't like let me go. It kept popping up. I kept hearing it in conversations. So when COVID hit, I'm a person where I'm like, come on team, we hustle, we pivot, we transform, we go for it. Well, I was stranded in Mexico. We're in the speaking business. That life had fallen apart. I was on lockdown here, kind of in a timeout for three months. Kathy was dying. Uh, my marriage was dying. I like the stock market was crashing. I'm like, I surprised my team because they said, okay, we'll get together and we'll come up with plans on how to, you know, keep sales going. And I think I surprised them and I said, just time out. Let's just figure out what enough is right now. Like, what is the monthly kind of nut we need to, and then let's just call it. If we can accomplish that and keep everybody paid, that's all we need. I have reserves. I plans for days like this. Let's do that. And they were shocked. They're like, did you just say, like, figure out enough? And I'm like, yes. And then two of my colleagues had a baby. They felt really bad because he wasn't getting as much nutrients as he wanted. And it was during COVID. And he was a brand new little guy without the care access to hospitals that he needed. And I went out on a walk and they were really looking for parenting advice. And the podcast that came on was Good Enough Parenting. <laughs> then as I would talk to Kathy on the phone or on Facebook, she would say, I, we need more time. And I found myself saying we had just enough time and just enough heartbreak and just enough. We obviously had just enough. That's what we needed. And I kept hearing this word come up and people are like, Sai, you're so brave in dealing with all of this. And I'm like, I'm brave because I feel like I'm enough. Like I was loved, like I was just plenty. And this word just kept coming, coming, coming. And I think for me in the book, What's important to me is that we have one goal in life, at least I do, and that's loving people in a way that they're convinced that they're enough and that what we had was enough and it's all enough. And so there's a lot of lessons in there about words. Chosen's a word, enough is a word, gratitude's a word. People will find what they need in that book. I shared a lifetime of lessons. That's what I hope people find right now during COVID is we have enough, we are enough. Let's love each other in a way that we convince each other that they are enough, that they're perfect. I absolutely love the title. I love the theme. It's so spot on that life is extremely messy, but you know, happiness, I too really believe that it is ultimately a choice, right? You, when you wake up in the morning, you can really choose the state that you want to go about living your day. You, know, you could choose to be in that happy place or you could choose to see things in a very dark place. I'm curious, was there some personal circumstance or something that influenced you to get to that point where this idea around choosing happiness, because it definitely is something that is, I would say, like an evolved right thinking. Some people might push back and say, I can't live in this state of happiness. I just can't. The world has done me no good and life is so unfair. And so I'm curious if there's, there was a moment, something that took place that influenced you to, to see the world through that lens where happiness truly is a choice. Gosh, I don't know that I foresee a moment. I foresee, I go back and, and I'm not talking about the feeling of happiness, but the general state of in the midst of this tragedy of having a general state of contentment. 
I actually think I've gotten to relearn this lesson and revisit this lesson about a thousand times in my life. And so it wasn't one event. It was like, oh yeah, dang it. That's probably true. And oh yeah, once again, I'm right back to where I started that happiness is a choice. And I think for me, it's really come from so many people around me. Instead of trying to, I've gotten so much good love and counsel instead of like, let's say that something happens in our life and we want to get over that one thing. They've given me advice like, you may never get over it, but build a life bigger than it. That was interesting to me. So I tend to be a person who is so grateful for all the lessons that people try and share. And I'm kind of a connoisseur of lessons. So I don't think there was one thing that happens to change me in that direction. But I think I would get a hint of it and it would get reinforced and repeated. And then I would get to see it again. I think if you pay attention, the universe makes really sure that you get the point. When I started reading the book, it brought me back to a moment with one of the last moments with my mom. My mom was only sick for about two months. She was in the hospital for that time period. And from the day she checked in, she never checked out. And she had cancer. She made it to one round of chemo. And a couple of days later, she moved into hospice. And this is only five years after my dad passed. And I went into the room. My family let me know that she's moving into hospice. There's nothing more that they can do. And she probably has a few days left to live. And I remember I grabbed her hand and I said, life's so unfair. And my mom interrupted me and she said, life is unfair, but it's also glorious. And um, that was kind of like this moment for me where the big and right, it's unfair and glorious. Yeah. So she like pulled me out of this. Like I was in a dark place. Like the sun was beaming on me that day and it was like a beautiful day outside and all I could feel was gray. And it was like in that moment that like literally I could feel the light of life come back to me. And like from that moment on, I... I really embrace this idea that life is messy, life is unfair, but it is also glorious. It is also happiness. It is also incredible. There's the fact that we're having this conversation right now. There's so much that I have. It's like a miracle, you know, like this is, this is incredible. First of all, my heart breaks for you. And at the same time, I trust that like she mothered you perfectly as long as she was present physically with you and probably still mothers you. You probably hear her voice. In that, I think your question when you asked me of a moment, the longer you live, you will find just repeats of all of those moments that I wrote in the book about the love affair I have with the word and. If you focus on just the fact that life is unfair, that will become your your dance partner for the rest of your life. But if you can build a life bigger than that, life is unfair and glorious and mysterious and brilliant and really sucky. And building out life in 3D lets you actually experience life in 3D. And a lot of us just experience life in one dimension because it's so flat because we only are experiencing the part of the experience that sucked rather than the part of that experience that was also like amazing. Absolutely. How do you think we can use our minds and the way we view the world to create a life of of more happiness, right? Because I always used to say that I believe we we really only have like one mission when we wake up and it should be to to live a happy life. Some people would would say that that's like not the only mission, but you know, I would always tell people you got to map more of your life to doing the things that make you happy, that give you energy. I'm curious what you would say or what advice you'd give to someone to 
use our minds, our body to create a life of more happiness. I'm glad you brought your body into it. I think we use our minds too much. I think our minds are such a limited, our thinking is such a limited way to experience the world. And if we can get into our bodies and somatic and feel things on a cellular level and reconnect through our breath with what we're truly feeling in our intuition, like there's so much going on below that frontal cortex of mind. We're animals. I mean, we have hair stand up, we get goosebumps, we get heart palpitations, we get gut sensations, we feel in our belly, we have inklings, we have urges, we have like, I really, and I'm working on this, so I am not one to, I protect myself through figuring life out, studying for the test and passing the test. I guard my heart, I don't trust my intuition at times, like, I have relearned the lesson over and over again that if we just get back to our wild self, our mind's like, no, we will make bad choices. That's usually our body's rebellion against our mind. But if we get back to our wild self and just really start cutting our mind off in ways that we close our eyes and we just feel breezes or we really feel the entire sensory experience that is life or we hear a poem and our heart is touched and we tear up, like letting ourselves do that. I think we need to use our minds less. I think we need to question our thinking and get out of our heads. When you turn to somebody and you get in touch with your heart blowing open, solutions are pretty simple to most of life's problems. So let me give a practical tool. Open mind, open heart. If my heart is closed to you, like I just have a bias towards you or a prejudice, it's a hard time opening my heart up. Like you hurt me. Then I can work on opening my mind up. When the mind opens, the heart opens, they work together. So if I can say, well, are there other reasons he might have done that? Do I absolutely know it's true that he did that on purpose? Can I be mentally flexible? That will open my heart up. Sometimes my mind closes where I'm judging you and I just am unwilling to see what experience might be like for you. Can I open my heart up? Do I sometimes act just the way they're acting? Can I find compassion? So I guess curiosity is opening the mind up and compassion is opening the heart up. Notice where you're closed. If your heart's closed, get curious. If your mind's closed, get compassionate. That would be a way that I think we can expand ourselves. What would you say are the happiness drainers that we should be aware of? If we're being self-reflective, like where are the things that, that take our happiness from ourselves? The stories we make up, the thinking that we believe and don't question, expectations. I like to walk through life with great expectancy. Amazing things will happen, but not expectations. Narrow perspective. This is happening. I'm like, this is the worst thing ever. But if I had perspective, I would see that over time, if I just stayed neutral, it could be the best thing ever. How would I know? So I think we can narrow down in perspective. I think we can get transactional and get into I know mind instead of let me be amazed by the mystery. I think we can focus on mastery, not mystery. Turning away from people hurts our happiness, but we do it to stay happy. Like, I don't want to feel pain of our conflict, so I'm going to turn away from you. But I end up lonely and you don't truly know me. So when you say you love me, I'm like, how could you? You don't even know me. All the ways we protect ourselves, armor up, as Brene Brown would say, protect our vulnerability in the pursuit of happiness actually leads to 
our loneliness and our being less happy. Anytime we turn away from the mess and try to pretend like we know how, anytime we want to do this thing perfectly, we have these expectations. That all makes sense. I feel to recognize a lot of this, especially the stories or the narrative that you tell yourself, it takes a great amount of self-awareness. It takes the ability to be self-aware and self-reflective and in some ways, a lot of introspective internal work to have that recognition and to, to really recognize, hey, is what happened really what happened or is this just some story I'm telling myself? How does one become more self-aware to be able to do that? A lot of times we get into like wanting to catch ourselves and wanting to notice it's like progress, not perfection. A good thing to listen to is when you're feeling stressed, that's like an alarm bell saying, wake up, wake up. Life is effortless. Life is easy. There's help visible and invisible around you. Everything is happening in your favor. And if you're not feeling that right now, you're blocking yourself from the experience. I personally have benefited so much from Byron Katie's work. And she basically asks you to do a worksheet a day for breakfast and have a practice of when you're stressed, questioning your thinking. I think meditation's important. I think I use Sam Harris's Waking Up app. I love it. I just give myself part of my day as a diet for my, my um, brain health and my mental well-being. I also think that a lot of times we do things that take away our sleep or take away our peace. So part of being happy is getting rid of causes of unhappiness. We stay in relationships because we want to win or we're worried about what other people will think about us. I've had to ask myself, am I willing for people to be wrong about me to live the life I want to live in, in the peaceful life? Like, I don't think you have to get all serious and self-reflect all the time, but I think you have to just be willing to self-reflect, just be willing, willing to know. For the longest time, I didn't see reality as clearly as maybe I do today. I just said the mantra, I am willing. I am willing to turn back towards reality and see it for what it really is. And it was hard because part of happiness, you can't feel happiness if you can't feel the extreme pain. If you're unwilling to feel the ends of the spectrum, you don't get one without the other. So if you want to just have this guarded life, it's going to be pretty one-dimensional and pretty bland. And so I've had to work even just on my willingness to turn towards things and see things for what they really are and feel the heartbreak. And the extent to which I can feel heartbreak, I can feel gratitude and joy. And your life is a testimony to that, Dan. I appreciate that. Yeah. The depth of your heartbreak is the, the height of, of your ability to feel joy. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's powerful. And I like, I like what you're saying around being open-minded to saying, I'm, I'm willing to. I think that that, that could be a, a powerful mindset shift. It is. It is. There's something even more simple I do. I find places of friction in my life, and I just work on little places of friction. Like if I open up a drawer and it ticks me off because it's a mess, I declutter it. Or like just little <laughs> things. Like forever I had a bedspread that was scratchy. But every night I would go to bed. With... So part of happiness is just finding places of friction. One day I'm just like, I'm done with this bedspread. Like, <laughs> and my mind was like, you know, it's a perfectly good bedspread. I'm like, but I want to admit to the world, I do not like it. And I am going to like get rid of it. So I think even if you just incremental small changes, like um, mm. I used to get mad that I had to spend an hour trying to get my curly hair to do what it was going to do and my makeup on. And then one day it dawned on me, it's like, 
this does not make me happy. Like, what if I just remove this source of friction and I no longer try and make my hair do anything? What if I just get up and go for it? I think there's so much that we think about pursuing happiness. And a lot of it just is on the daily removing sources of unhappiness, as little as friction. Like how many drink out of cups of coffee? You don't even like the cup. Get rid of it. You only use one (laughs) cup out of 10. Get rid of all the cups you don't like and use the one you love. And if you need to, go find one like that. Stacking the deck to make it easier to actually be happy is is a very easy, easy way to actually become happier, right? It's so true. Well, I feel we covered a lot of bits of gold on this one on living on purpose, living a happy life. Are there any bits of gold that we have not covered that you want our listeners to hear? I think the thing I would end with is like so many times to be happy, we think we have to arrange a perfect life and we'll be happy when, and we defer happiness. Life's Mm. messy. It will never, you'll never get it arranged. So just be happy now. Or a lot of times people think we're a self-help project. Like I'm going to set a resolution. I'll be happy when I'm more disciplined. You're not a self-help project. Be happy now. And that would be the, the only thing I add is stop deferring your happiness. Stop making your happiness dependent on external things. Just be happy now. I love that. Yeah. I think people who defer their happiness, it is a huge trap and I could not agree more. I think that's an extremely powerful bit of gold there. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really appreciate you, your time, the work you're doing in the world and looking forward for this episode to inspire and empower others to go out and build a life of of happiness and a life of purpose. Thank you, Dan. Thanks for having such a great platform to uh, invite us to and help spread the word. Appreciate you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. All links for this episode can be found in the show notes. Your challenge for this week is to ditch the drama in your own life, to choose to not suffer next time you're frustrated, and to not delay your happiness. As Sai put it, life's messy. Choose to be happy now. Let me know how it goes and let me know the bits of gold that you found most helpful to help continue to live a life of purpose from Psy. I want to hear from you, so shoot me a message on Instagram at Dan Lev Goldberg or at the Bits of Gold Podcast. Finally, if you can please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, it would mean the world as it really helps with growing the show. That's all for today. Thanks for living with purpose today and every day, and I'll see you next time. I love your podcast, this is gold, this is where it's at.